I'm going to come down here to the front this morning to start off with, and uh, don't get used to it, though, because I like being up in the pulpit. But I was just thinking, um, sometimes it's good for us to do things that are a little bit uncomfortable, and that goes for church as well, and um, preaching as well, and so I'm going to make myself a little uncomfortable by coming down here too close, Brandy, sorry, just close. If Nick was here, it'd be really bad. But, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, I needed that, <laughs> thanks Nick, um, he's too busy being a, a papaw right now, so, um, and so I want to just kind of do the introduction here, and then I'm going back up there quickly, but 17 months ago, we started the Gospel of John, it's the first week of January 2022, and so, um, and we're going to conclude the text today, but not finish the series until next week. So you have this week and one more week in John, and then we'll move to something else. But, um, but basically, this is the last part of the text, and so we'll kind of wrap it up here and then do a little review for next week, but I hope that it's been a, a good study for you. I know it's been a good study for me, and um, it's there on our sermon audio site if you want to go back and catch up on any of those sermons, but I'm going to conclude this one with a sermon called do you love me? And um, the question that Christ asks Peter. But before we do that, I want to set it up by going back in the, earlier in the Gospels and giving you a few verses that I think set the stage. So I'll let you look at these here on the, on the screen. I want you to see in Matthew 10, Jesus makes a very strong statement. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who was in heaven. A very strong statement that Christ makes to his disciples, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you. So let's fast forward to the next one over in Matthew 26. We studied this just a few weeks ago, a little while ago, when Christ has had the Last Supper with his disciples. And in Matthew 26, Peter makes a strong statement. It says, Jesus said to them, You will fall away because of me this night. Speaking to his disciples, Peter answered, Lord, though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Look at the next thing. After Peter makes a strong statement, we see the next thing, which is Peter repents. We did not really talk about this much when we studied Peter's denial, but in Luke 22, 61 and 62, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, most scholars believe this was a true, sincere repentance that Simon Peter had after denying Christ three times, and Christ looking directly at him, he wept and turned to Christ there. Then we go to the next thing, which is Peter is restored. And that is today's text. So John 21, John 21, and we're going to read 15 through 25. If you found 21 verse 15, say word. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, 
thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. And Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So if you remember last week, we talked about Jesus has risen from the grave. He's met with the disciples on multiple occasions. And now on this particular night, the disciples go out to fish. They fish all night long, and what do they catch? Nothing. They catch nothing, right? And so as it becomes morning time, they're heading back to shore. They see a man on the shore. They don't recognize who it is. The man says, hey, have you caught any fish? And they say, we caught nothing. He said, take your net, cast it on the other side, and see what happens. And so you know what happens. They cast the net on the other side, and they catch tons of fish, right? They, full, they fill the net with fish. And so then they, they look and realize, wait a minute, that's Jesus, that's Christ. And as soon as they realize it, Simon Peter jumps off the boat into the water, swims to shore to be with Jesus. The other disciples come in the boat, bringing the fish. When they get to shore, Christ is there. And what's he doing? He started a fire. He's preparing them a, a breakfast. And so it's this context that we come to our text today. And so after this breakfast, Jesus speaks directly to Simon Peter. Now, I was looking back. This is certainly not the first time Christ has spoken to Simon Peter. But for what we see in the scripture, it is certainly, I think, the most significant and the most thorough conversation between Christ and Simon Peter after the resurrection. And so we certainly want to invest this, investigate this and study this and see what it, what it means. And the main question that Jesus asks, if you look back at verse 15, he calls him Simon, son of John. He says, do you love me? I want to talk about a couple of words here. First, the word love. Now, you've heard this before. We've talked about it throughout this study of John, earlier in John. There are at least three types of Greek words for the word love. There's eros, which is an intimate love. 
there's phileo, which is that brotherly love, and then there's agape, which you've heard of before, right? That's that unconditional love, that love of God. And so there are different uses of agape and phileo in this text, but the more, and I've heard preachers preach sermons on that and really dig into the different uses of love, but the more I look at it, I don't think that's the main thing to kind of dive into. And so I just want to say it this way. When Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? I want to just define it this way. Simon, are you devoted to me? Will you be and are you devoted to me, Christ? You see, because you can dive into the word love there. You can also dive into the word these there. Some people say that, was Jesus saying that, do you love me more than the other disciples? Or do you love me more than the disciples love me? Or do you love me more than you love fishing and doing your, your occupation? But the bottom line is this. Jesus looks at Peter in a way that would cause him to do self-examination and says, Peter, do you love me? Simon says, you know I love you, verse 15. And what's Jesus say? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Verse 16, let's move right on to verse 16. He says it again a second time. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. Verse 17, then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And on the third time, what does the scripture say? Peter was grieved. He was, as I study this verse, I, I try to think back on yeah, you're, you're, you can back way up, Kendall. We're not even there yet. We're not there yet. You're giving everybody a head start. You're cool. Um, I was thinking about times in my life where I, could, where I might have felt something similar to this grief. And I don't think we can really experience it except for maybe the loss of a loved one, right? You know that feeling when you lose someone close to you and it's just that gut-wrenching feeling, that sick feeling, that kick-in-the-stomach feeling? That's all I can think to try to describe the grief that Simon Peter must have felt when Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, said, Do you love me? And why was that significant? You know why, right? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three. How many times did Jesus ask, Do you love me? Three. How many times did Jesus say, feed my sheep or tend my sheep? Three. And so here, Peter is being challenged. And the main question that Jesus asks him and that I want to ask us this morning is, do you love Christ? Simon, do you love me? And if you love me, I'm going to ask you, and this is what Christ, or command you, to prove it. How do you prove it? Two ways. Here's the first one. You can put it in your notes. Do you love me, Simon? You, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, you have heard it very clearly this morning in our children's sermon that God, Christ, is the good shepherd, and we, his people, are what? The sheep. We're not the goats, right? The sheep are the saved. The goats are the unsaved. You heard from Trey reading our Old Testament from Ezekiel about God as the shepherd bringing in his, his sheep. And so when we read this, Jesus is telling Simon Peter, your life is going to be this. If you love me, 
you're going to provide nourishment to my sheep. That's what feeding is, right? We're going to eat later. We're going to eat in just a few minutes in the fellowship hall. We're going to get physical nourishment from this food. And Peter's job as a man of God is going to be to go and nourish through the preaching and teaching of the word, the sheep. This is any elder pastor's main goal, main job, is to feed the sheep. This is what Jason and I spend most of our time talking about as we prepare for our services, as we put in the scriptures and the things we do. It's how can we best feed the sheep. And it's really important to us because we want everyone in our church to be fed, right? We want our families to be fed. We want your families to be fed spiritually. And so Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I think it's important to bring out this little side note here I'm going to give to you. And, and I think, and I'm bringing this out of the Feed My Sheep line, something that's been going on in churches for many years, and it's been a part of my past, it's been a part of most of your pasts, and in such a way that I think some of us still struggle with this, even today, and it's the idea of a seeker-sensitive church. The idea that a church should be set up in a way that attracts people who are seeking God or seeking church. And that's a flawed philosophy for many reasons. One is the Bible tells us there are none who seek God. No, not one. None righteous. None seek after Him. Unless God does a work in someone, there are no seekers of God. Right? First, He calls us. Then we turn to Him. Second, I want to make this statement. The church is the people of God, not the place where our primary evangelism is done. The church is the people of God, not the primary place where evangelism should be done. I talked to a member this morning who was telling me they were blessed this week to share their testimony, to share their faith a little bit with someone. And the person they were sharing their faith with was not a believer in God. And I love to hear those stories. I love to hear that. That's what we need to be doing, right? But as he could tell you, that didn't happen in here this morning. That happened out in the world. Our primary place of evangelism, of sharing Christ, is outside these walls. We come here to worship and gather and pray and study the Word. But I want us to see this because I I think it's so important. I like, you guys know, some of you know, I like going to ball games. Right? I like going to uh, college football games. They're fun. I can scream. I can ring my cowbell. I can hear the loud music. I can do all these different things. But I'm not coming in church ringing a cowbell. Right? I'm not coming in here screaming. I'm not coming in here wearing my hat backwards. I'm just not doing the things I do at a ball game in the church. Right? I like concerts. Some of y'all know that. At concerts, I like loud music. I like the flashing lights. I like the smoke. I like all the cool, the smoke show. I like all the cool stuff about a concert. But listen, the church is not a concert. So I don't want that stuff in my church. Although I like it in a concert. You see, the church and the way we do church should look different from the world. Stephen Lawson, a pastor, said this, A new way of doing church is emerging. In this radical paradigm shift, Biblical, expositional preaching, 
is being replaced with entertainment. Preaching is being replaced with performances. Doctrine is being replaced with drama. And theology is being, theology is being replaced with theatrics. The pulpit, once the focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries. In seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, a new wave of pastors is reinventing church and repackaging the gospel into a product to be sold to consumers. I'm going to make a statement that everyone not, may not like. But I'm going to make the statement anyway. We should not be worried about if lost people will like or dislike our church. That should not be our concern. We should not worry if an unbeliever comes in here, are they going to like this thing or that thing? We must not worry about lost people's opinions of the church because primarily, and I'll explain this, primarily the church is not for the lost people. It's for the believers. We are the church. Now, do we impact them? Do we evangelize them? Do we invite them and welcome them? Of course. And this church is a welcoming church. We want people to come and visit, and whether they're Christians or not, and I think we'll be kind and loving to them. But as we seek to be the church and do church together, we must understand we are equipped, we're, we gather to be equipped, and then we scatter to evangelize. We gather to be equipped, and then we scatter to be evangelized. Look with me again at verse 15. Look in your Bible. Look at verse 15. Just to make sure I'm not on the wrong line of thinking here. The bottom of verse 15. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said to him, feed the goats. Is that what it says in verse 15? How about verse 16, the bottom of verse 16? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed the heathens. Is that what it says? How about verse 17? The bottom of verse 17. You Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend to the lost. Cater to the world. Is that what it says? Three times he says, Feed my sheep. That's the goal. That's the goal for Simon Peter throughout his ministry. That's the goal for us in our ministry to feed the sheep. And for us who are sheep, which that's all of us who are Christians, our goal is to be fed daily through the reading of the word and weekly as we come together to be equipped. Do you love Christ, Peter? Prove it. Feed the sheep and be fed by the good shepherd. Verse 18 and 19. Such an interesting next part. Christ basically tells Peter that he's going to have a tough life. He says... When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went and walked wherever you want to walk. But when you get old, you shall stretch forth your hands. Another shall dress you, and they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. Paraphrasing there. But speaking in the way, verse 19 tells us, the way that Peter would glorify God through his death. And in verse 19, he says, Follow me. Follow me. And so the first test of proof for Peter is going to be feed my sheep. The second one is going to be follow me. So interesting because this is one of the first things Jesus said to Simon Peter early in the Gospels. Remember he went to the disciples and they're fishing and he says, Hey, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. 
And he goes to other disciples, says, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we understand that he didn't just mean drop your nets and walk around aimlessly after me, but no, listen to me, learn from me, watch me. That's what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ is not some half-hearted commitment, right? It is a true commitment. It is a true devotion. It is a true desire to follow him. And we follow him as Luke 9.23 says in this way. Jesus said you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And Peter had done that, but near the end, right, he had, he had, fall, he had fallen, he had failed. And so Jesus restores him by saying, you followed me, you, you, you fell, but listen, follow me. No matter what happens, I'm telling you now, your life's going to be hard, your death's going to be hard, and we know, historically speaking, that Peter was crucified. Many people say he was crucified upside down according to church, church tradition. But Jesus said, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter how hard it's going to be. Peter, follow me. Follow me. Verse 20. And Peter does what so many of us do. Can I be honest? This has happened already twice since I've been awake this morning. The very thing that I'm about to talk about happened in my vehicle on the way down here. And after I got here, I heard a statement that kind of reminded me of this. So Peter, hearing these words from Christ, especially I think about his death and his, his tough future, he turns and sees John, the other disciple following, and then he says, well, Lord, what about, this, what about John? What about him? You parents know what this is like, don't you? You ever told your child, hey, go clean your room, and your child says, what about her room? What about his room? Tell your child, hey, do this. And they say, what about him? What about her? What do you always say as a parent? I'll take, you know, you take care of you, I'll take care of them, right? Or why don't you clean both rooms? I'm speaking from experience there. And so Jesus says, basically, in verse 22 and 23, what is it to you, right? Basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but if I decide John's going to stay alive till I return, that, that's fine. You follow me. Twice here, verse 22, he says it again, follow me me. And so I want to say something here that, um, please, this would be an awful clip if you clip just the first part. So listen to what I'm saying. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must, in a sense, forget about others, in the sense that we do not compare ourselves to other followers. You see what I mean? Jesus said to Peter, don't worry about what he's doing. You focus on what I've called you to do. How many of us have said this? I would serve God if my life was just a little bit better. If I was a little more successful, a little more happy, a little more wealthy, then I would do more for God. Or if I was a little more talented, if I could just sing better, if I could just do this, then I would serve God. If I could sing like her or give like him or do this or that. Do you think that type of comparison is something that God wants from us? No. Because why? If you're a Christian, he has saved you, he is sanctifying you, he has gifted you with different types of personalities and gifts that you can use in the church. And it's not about comparing ourselves to others. I imagine there are missionaries, even this morning, in a far-off country who have to walk a long way to get water, who don't have a good air conditioner like we have this morning, 
who don't have a food table set up in the back after church, I imagine some of them could be thinking, man, I wish I was in one of those nice American churches that's comfortable and air-conditioned. But that's not the point, is it? The point is, they are where, right where God wants them to be. And so whatever your gifting is, whatever your burden is, we all have different burdens to bear. Some have better health, some have worse health, and we don't know why God has given each of us those, those health issues, but, but that's our burden to bear. Some of us have different gifts to share. And again, God gives as He wills. Listen, we all have different works to accomplish. Ephesians 2.10 says God has prepared beforehand works for every one of us who are believers to do, that we should do them and walk in them. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must stop comparing ourselves to other believers. And so I said if we're going to follow Jesus, we must forget about others, but here's the truth. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must never forget about others because serving him is always going to bring along with it loving our neighbor encouraging our church members, our friends, our family to love, to serve, and disciple others. And so Jesus tells, John, tells Peter, don't worry about him right now. You follow me. Maybe some of us need to hear that this morning. Don't worry about him or her. Follow me. You follow me, Jesus says, and, and things will work out. I'll work things out the way they need to work out. Verse 24, 25. I want to hit on these next week, so... Basically, it just talks about this being John writing these things, and we know his testimony is true. And, and I'll save those for next week. Let me give you application. Application. The, first, the question is this, do we, do we love Christ? And I want to give you a few thoughts on that. Number one, if you love Christ, you feel love for Christ. Do you love me, Jesus said? Kind of a simple question but also a deep question do you love me you know you can ask a very small child do you love me and they're going to say what yes dad yes mom I love you you know and it's also a very deep and a very searching question because there are people who know claim to know God profess him talk about him work for him have much religion but may not actually love God we might have our religion down to a T. We might have good theology and correct views. We might have the best form of worship and a respectable life. But there's something to be said about this question. Do I feel a love toward Christ? Now let me say this. I know feelings can be fleeting, right? It's like sometimes we've said in our family, I don't know if y'all ever said this, I love you, but I don't like you right now. You ever said that? I love you, but I don't like what you're doing right now. I know feelings can be fleeting and, and can be maybe sometimes a poor gauge. But I would hate to know that I say I'm a Christian and I'm absent for years and years of this feeling of love toward Christ. To me, there has to be some type of emotion behind it or joy behind it of knowing Christ. that we would say this this morning, that we would say, you know what? I love Christ, and I'm never going to stop loving Christ. So, do you feel a love for him this morning? Number two, 
Do you love him? You, how do you know if you love him? You confess love to Christ. You remember when you were first dating someone or first married? Some of us are old enough that we just had to make phone calls, right? You had to call your loved one, your girlfriend, whatever. And remember those days when you would get off the phone and you'd say, I love you. I love you. No, I love you more. No, I love you. Y'all, did y'all ever do that? Or is that just us? Yeah, I see y'all nudging your spouse. Okay. I love you. Love you more. I told you about the time I called my friend David, and I was like, all right, David, see you later. Love you. I was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't love you that way. I'm so used to saying it to my wife. But we do that, and so you can ask Jesse, I get so sick of saying I love you over and over again. And so she's like, I love you. I'm like, I know. You know, I know. I'm like, you, I'm, like, I'm like, Peter, you know I love you. <laughs> feed me, feed me. Okay. Look, as believers, we should, in some way, shape, or form, be confessing our love to Christ. doesn't mean you have to get up in front of the church and say, hey, church, I love Christ, right? But it means, in some way, shape, or form, with your words, your attitudes, your life, you're confessing it. Because Jesus here... As someone said, Jesus was like, was like a skillful physician who stirred grief in, and, and self-contemplation in Peter in a way that caused him to confess his love, right? Those questions and those comments from Christ stirred in Peter, and he said, Lord, you know I love you. Now, all of us who are believers might say this as well. We might say, I love him, but I don't love him as well as I ought. I need to love him more. I need to love Christ more. But there should be this thought of, this confession in our lives of, I love Christ. We sang it in that last song a minute ago. All we have, all we need is Christ. There's no one like him. Can we say this morning as a confession of our life that we love him? The third way here to know if you love Christ is You prove love for Christ. Now, we don't prove it to get his acceptance. We know that comes only by grace through faith. He saves us not by any works, not by any proof of what we do, right? We only bring sin to our salvation. He saves us. But once we are saved and and we want to love Christ and seek to love him, we can take this lesson that Christ gave Peter and apply it to us to say, you know what, I might talk a good game, but... Uh, what's the old saying? Uh, don't just talk the talk, but what? Walk the walk. And so do our lives show a true love for Christ? This, as someone said, one, one quote is, this is the real secret of Christian greatness, that we show our love for Christ and how we treat others. So Jesus told him, and I will tell us this morning, follow and feed. Follow Christ. Seek to learn from him through his word. Seek to know him through his word. Seek to know him and serve him in the church. And if you're a teacher, preacher like we are, we're going to feed. And if you're a sheep like we are, we're going to be fed from the word. Let me close with this last thought. What's the reason for loving Christ? Why do we love him? Let it always be said here that we love him because he first loved us. The same John that wrote this gospel wrote that in 1 John. That yes, I'm calling us today to a renewed love for Christ, 
but we understand we only love him because we realize how much we've been forgiven. Our sin has been forgiven. The penalty of sin, the condemnation for sin that we deserve has been forgiven. And so we love him. Lord, you know all things. You know we love you. Let's pray.